I happen to think it will be Netanyahu that is the first to fall because I think the United States has instigated a regime change operation against them. Who better to test that thesis on than the former head of the New York Times Middle East Bureau, the one and only wonderful Chris Hedges. Chris, as always, welcome to the mother of all talk shows. What, what about my, uh, my thesis there? Uh, this, uh, these events in uh, Israel have all the hallmarks to me uh, of the U.S. Uh, deciding to get rid of Netanyahu. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, first of all, his coalition is very fragile to begin with, uh, and he has alienated the mainstream Jewish groups in the United States who have tremendous political power. I encourage everybody to watch that wonderful Al Jazeera documentary, The Lobby, uh, which was never actually broadcast on Al Jazeera because the Israel lobby intervened to essentially get it removed from the airwaves, but there are pirated copies on electronic intifada everywhere else. So uh, this has created a problem, uh, a kind of public relations problem for uh, the, the Israel lobby in the United States, as well as fervent Israel backers like Joe Biden, who describes himself as a Zionist. Of course, as you know well, George, uh, the, the major part of the equation, and I would argue one of the reasons Israel or Israeli society has devolved into this uh, kind of competing uh, authoritarianism between uh, secular figures like Netanyahu and hard-right religious zealots is the occupation. Uh, and we can laud uh, Israelis for clogging the streets of Tel Aviv, uh, but that Palestinian issue, which I think is really the root cause of uh, the deformation of Israeli society, is never brought up. Uh, and, of course, the ability to continue funding uh, the Israeli military, to the, I think they get about $3 billion a year in aid, uh, the obsequious, uh, essentially, acceptance by the State Department and the Biden administration of just about everything Israel does uh, uh, is very hard to continue given the uh, kind of coloring of the net the clear corruption of the Netanyahu government, uh, which is essentially destroying or ripping down the firewalls between the judiciary uh, and uh, and the executive branch or, or you know the prime minister's office, uh, so that he can save himself from being indicted for corruption charges. I think he has three cases brought against him. We see a lot uh, on television of the demonstrations in Israel. We see nothing on television of the very, very much larger demonstrations in France, which tells me that the the prevailing orthodoxy approves of the demonstrations in Tel Aviv and disapproves of the demonstrations in France. Um, the alliance between the United States and its European NATO partners is beginning to look a little less secure, isn't it? Uh, the government of France may very well fall. Uh, if Macron doesn't fall, he will certainly have to abandon key parts of his program uh, in government and will not easily be able to write any more big checks for Ukraine. Uh, do you think the... U.S. oligarchy will be nervous about just how secure 
their allies now are in power in Europe. Yes, although, of course, they are one of the engines for the political, social, and economic problems that are besetting countries like the UK, Germany, and France. Uh, it, it's Europe that's paying the price for the Ukraine war. I mean, especially Germany in terms of the skyrocketing energy costs, the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline, uh, which may have served uh, U.S. geopolitical interests, but was a devastating blow to the German economy. So uh, this is all created really out of Washington or NATO, which is just a puppet of Washington. Uh, and, and yes, they have essentially orchestrated events around Ukraine uh, that weaken and undermine the, the very allies that they rely on. So, yeah, I think that's an astute point. Uh, and, and they're nervous whether they un- understand or whether they, I, I don't see them retracting from this uh, infusion of I mean, we've committed. The United States has committed one hundred and thirteen billion dollars in military and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine. That's almost twice the budget of the State Department, which is 60 billion dollars a year. I think it's more than the military budget of Russia, if I have that right. It is indeed more than the total military budget budget of Russia. Now, the uh, latest out of Kiev uh, from Zelensky talking to an American newspaper is that if he loses Bakhmut, he may have to compromise uh, with Russia. Uh we don't know if that's a bluff to get some last-minute cavalry coming over the hill uh, to Bakhmut, but if he means it, it could be very significant because I study the war map very closely. I know you do too. Uh, Bakhmut is uh, now a tiny uh, square, few square kilometers of industrial plant uh, in the center of the city. The rest has been taken uh, by the Russian forces and by the Wagner PMC forces. And uh, there's actually no way out now for the Ukrainians left there. And many of them have already been withdrawn. So if Bakhmut's about to fall, and Zelensky is right that if it falls, he has to compromise, what might that look like? What do you think kinetically would happen after that? Well, from a distance, I think Bakhmut is important. Remember, it was originally before the Russians, essentially, as you correctly point out, uh, were able to occupy it. It was uh, trumpeted as a major center, and the Ukrainians were lifted up. Now, in, at least in the U.S. media, it's being dismissed as just a small town. But it's a major communications hub, uh, and uh, it opens up roads and rail lines to uh, the Russian forces, uh, Lloyd Austin, I think, said in January that time was running out. These are his words for the Ukrainians. That's why they've thrown all this sophisticated military hardware at Ukraine. It's kind of a desperate hail Mary. Uh, I was in the last tank battle uh, with M1 Abrams in the war in Iraq. Those are extremely difficult uh, machines to operate. They require constant support teams. Uh, and they're also very unforgiving. Any kind of mistake with a, in an M1 Abrams can be lethal, uh, and then you don't have adequate air cover in and of itself. So I, I think even the NATO officials know that some of the equipment, and in particular these kinds of tanks, are not going to turn the tide of the battle. I'm not sure whether it's uh, just essentially a, a kind of propaganda 
ploy, uh, well, the U.S. has adamantly blocked any kind of negotiations because the goal of the United States has, has nothing to do with Ukraine. It has to do with degrading the Russian military and weakening Vladimir Putin's hold on power. So ultimately, uh, as the New York Times wrote a few months ago in an editorial, uh, which is, of course, it's a very pro, taken a very pro-war stance, but even the paper realized that there would have to be negotiations, there would have to be a, a, a kind of exchange of land for peace. I think the U.S. planners know that, uh, but they, are, they want to keep this conflict going as long as they can to punish Russia as much as they can, uh, even if the ultimate conclusion, which they must know, is exactly what the New York Times said, some kind of negotiated settlement. Remember, they have blocked, there was an effort by Turkey early on, the U.S. stepped in to block it. Uh, when China made noises recently about negotiated settlement, uh, it was shot down by uh, Blinken and the State Department. Uh, no, they, they, I covered many proxy wars in my 20 years overseas. Uh, there are many ways that uh, imperial powers have to project power, but proxy wars are probably the most cynical because they destroy the peoples and the countries they're purporting to uh, protect. And that's exactly what's happening in Ukraine. So you will see hostility. They, 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 they don't care if half the electrical system is out. They don't care how many Ukrainians, kids, and now they're recruiting, I think, kids and men up to 60. Uh, they don't care. I mean, that, that their geopolitical goals are very cynical, and in the end they're quite happy. This happened in all sorts of proxy wars I covered, including with the Kurds. They're quite happy to sell these people out when it serves their interests, and that's what we're seeing. Sure. Uh, of course, I take all those points. Uh, that is the uh, way the empire behaves, any empire. But from the point of view of Zelensky, and if not he, then he who comes after him, because uh, if the objective reality is that after Bakhmut they're beat, and that's essentially what is now being said in the military blogs and so on, for the reasons you adumbrated, uh, if it's Bakhmut, then we're beat. Then if you don't make a deal, you lose absolutely everything. The Russians take absolutely everything. Now, that might not trouble the U.S. It might not even trouble Zelensky. He has bolt holes to flee to. But somebody will come to power in Kiev, either by coup or some other means, that will want to make a deal uh, with Russia to preserve something of the sovereignty of their country, even if just the West of it. So we have a potential clash of interests, don't we, between uh, between Kiev and Washington. Yeah, that's often true in proxy wars, uh, that, that the interests of the proxy diverge from the interests of the sponsor. Uh, but the sponsor will put very heavy pressure. And of course, uh, uh, Ukraine is on life support from the IMF, of, uh, from uh, uh, NATO weaponry. Without that steady flow of both uh, financial assistance, because the Ukrainian economy has collapsed, and military assistance, they can't prosecute the war. So that's a very powerful lever uh, that they have to hold over the heads of Zelensky or anyone else. And I can tell you, again, having covered all sorts of proxy wars, uh, they, uh, they, they, you know, as Henry Kissinger famously said when he was called out for abandoning the Kurds, uh, which were then crushed uh, uh, in the in an ethnic cleansing campaign in northern Iraq, 
uh, he said, uh, you know, covert actions, not missionary work. Uh, I, I cover these people for many years. They, they don't care uh, that, that uh, they will sacrifice Ukraine and Ukrainians for their interests until the last Ukrainian. And they have a lot of power to prohibit. And they already have blocked, as far as I can tell, two, certainly one very serious negotiated proposal out of Turkey. I don't know how serious the Chinese one was, but it was raised. Uh, and the reaction was vociferous out of Washington uh, that there would be no negotiation. So uh, you, you are going to have this classic case where uh, at a certain point uh, when it becomes, I think, as you point out correctly, inevitable that Russia is going to roll over uh, the Ukrainians, that they are going to want to salvage what they can. Uh, but again, I reiterate, this is for the U.S. It has nothing to do with Ukraine. It has everything to do with Moscow. And, and severing Moscow and Putin from Europe, that's always been a long-term goal of the U.S. empire. And that, of course, uh, they've largely achieved. And, and in that sense, the Ukrainian proxy war has been quite successful. Trump says he could end the war in 24 hours. Is that kind of anti-war talk by Trump having any traction in the U.S.? It doesn't seem to on Capitol Hill, uh, but is no. it amongst the Republican base got any traction? Yes, some people are getting, I mean, the, the we're not suffering the way you're suffering in the UK in terms of inflation and economic degradation. However, we are suffering from inflation and a decline in real wages. And uh, so there is growing a growing restiveness about the endless amounts of money that are being pumped into Ukraine and questions as to why those kinds of resources are not provided to uh, citizens in the United States. I mean, we just had another mass shooting where the country is being ripped apart, uh, trail der train derailments that are spilling chemical uh, weapons, uh, uh, the, the, the protections against the rising health care costs are going to be lifted or at least a expansion of Medicare uh, within the, I mean, those things are getting worse and worse here for the working class and working poor, and 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 they're asking precisely those questions, and that has made the establishment nervous. Remember the establishment Republican Party and the establishment Democratic Party, which is now fused into one party, really one oligarchic corporate entity. They always were, uh, and that's where you get the Democratic Party, in essence, adopting figures like Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney or uh, right-wing pundits like uh, Crystal and others. Uh, and uh, uh, they are nervous. Uh, they are nervous. Uh, could Trump end it in a day? Well, you know, Trump has a habit of, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, boasting of all sorts of things that can happen in a day that he can't do. However, I think within the zeitgeist, there is a weariness, clearly a weariness on this endless infusion of staggering sums of resources and money into Ukraine. And, of course, they're about to see, once again, like the 20-year fiascos in the Middle East, uh, that they're not going to get what supposedly they paid for. Now, finally, this is almost a philosophical question, but you are uh, definitely the most erudite man I'm going to speak to today, or any day. Uh, I'm puzzled about this democracy forum that the U.S. is holding of all places in Southern Africa. I made a point at the beginning of the show about the 
U.S.'s role in Southern Africa, which I knew very well, as you did too, uh, of, uh, of the fact that it is so blatantly aimed at others rather than for democracy in Africa. It's really aimed against China, an obsession against China, to a lesser extent against Russia. I was making the point, uh, you could sum it all up in one photo caption. Us killing Patrice Lumumba and Moscow having a Patrice Lumumba International University, uh, which I've spoken many times in uh, in Russia. Uh, the difference between the big powers in relation to Africa is so disadvantageous for the United States, you wonder why they bothered holding it in Lusaka. Well, they're kind of tone deaf. Uh, let's begin there. Uh, I, they've largely walked away. So, you know, I, I worked in places like the Congo and the Sudan, uh, and uh, we withdrew most of our, we kind of checked out of Africa, really. Uh, and the Chinese have filled that void. Uh, and it's interesting that they filled it not uh, militarily, but in terms of technical assistance and uh, building infrastructure and, uh, you know, what's commonly referred to as soft power. And they've been quite effective. Uh, and, of course, Africa is a very resource-rich continent. So that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a kind of very ham-fisted, tone-deaf attempt on the part of Washington uh, to counter. It's a little late now. Counter. Uh, essentially the, the loss of uh, influence and control uh, that they once had in Africa. Uh, and yes, of course, that, that uh, included uh, all sorts of CIA operations. Uh, I guess, I think, wasn't it the French intelligence who finally actually killed uh, uh, Lumumba, but that was a coordinated effort by French imperialists and American imperialists. Uh, but it, it is another sort of uh, uh, knee-jerk response or desperate grab uh, towards a, a regaining a lost hegemony that's already gone. Uh, and, uh, and and the worse things get, the more isolated and the more, and the weaker, in essence, uh, in this multipolar world that the United States becomes, the, the more uh, kind of uh, frantic uh, the efforts to regain that lost hegemony will be, we're already seeing that with the military posturing in terms of China, Taiwan, Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and that's, that, that is a feature of late empire, what historians call micro-militarism. The Athenians did it when they invaded Sicily and their whole fleet was sunk. Uh, and then the empire fragmented. Uh, and then of course the assault on the dollar will be the death blow, uh, because once the dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency and we're seeing a steady uh, retraction or moving away by countries uh, from the dollar, uh, then uh, the collapse of the dollar, like the pound sterling in the 1950s, uh, will essentially make the, the make it impossible to sell treasury bonds. Nobody will buy our debt, and we, we and we fund our empire largely through debt. So all of those 750 military bases we have around uh, the world will have to be uh, shut down. Uh, it, it will have a, a devastating effect on the American economy. So we're seeing the last days of empire, and in the last days of empire, there are often these, uh, you know, desperate, I would call it, attempts uh, to regain what has been lost forever. And that, that, I think, really kind of sums up what we're seeing in Africa. 
a time of monsters. You're a scholar and a gentleman as always. Chris Hedges, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows.